Who owns a lifeline? That's the question at the center of the vaccine patent debate. But the answer is not as simple as we may think. Even though companies like Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson have become synonymous with their vaccines, they aren't solely responsible for developing them. The incredible teamwork between different researchers that led to a vaccine being developed so rapidly, a process which usually takes at least 10 years, also caused bitter legal battles over who can claim ownership for this achievement. So exactly what parts of the vaccine are under dispute? Let's get a bit of background by taking a look at how COVID-19 vaccines work. The first thing we should consider is that the virus we have become so familiar with, SARS-CoV-2, is actually part of a family of coronaviruses. Some are responsible for the common cold, while the 2003 SARS outbreak was caused by SARS-CoV-1. Part of the reason why scientists were able to create a COVID-19 vaccine so fast is because they had already been studying its genetic makeup and structure. Moderna and the National Institute of Health, or NIH, actually started working on a coronavirus vaccine in 2019 before SARS-CoV-2 was even identified. Through 50 years of research, scientists have learned the importance of the now infamous spike or S protein, which is crucial for viral attachment. Many COVID-19 vaccines target this S protein. Pfizer and Moderna vaccines both use messenger RNA or mRNA. This is genetic material that contains the instructions on how to make proteins. In terms of the vaccine, after giving these instructions, the mRNA is destroyed. It never enters your cell's nucleus where DNA is stored, and it does not alter your own genetic material. According to the Centers for Disease Control and the Mayo Clinic, mRNA vaccines tell your cells how to make a harmless version of the S protein that's unique to this particular virus. These copies of the S protein begin to display on human cells, causing our bodies to realize, hey, that shouldn't be there. So they start to make specific antibodies to fight COVID-19. And if you end up contracting the real deal, these antibodies and white blood cells recognize the S proteins and stop it from replicating. So how about Johnson Johnson's one-shot vaccine? This is what's called a vector vaccine. Vectors are basically receptors for viral information. They themselves aren't normally infectious, but they can be manipulated to do so. Think of mosquitoes. While they are annoying, it's only when they carry malaria that they become infectious and often deadly. Johnson & Johnson uses a modified version of a different virus and inserts genetic information from SARS-CoV-2 into this vector. And by the way, you can't get infected from either the viral vector or this genetic information. And just like with Pfizer and Moderna's mRNA vaccines, your cells learn to make S proteins, prompting antibodies and white blood cells to recognize and fight off the virus. So what exactly did biotech companies try to claim ownership for? Or conversely, what claims do these companies have to fight? Well, Pfizer actually just resolved a patent dispute with another company, Elio Biotechnology. The San Diego-based company sued Pfizer in late 2020 over allegations that they used Elio's patented technology without permission. Elio also went after Regeneron for the same issue, the company that made the experimental antibody cocktail used by then-President Donald Trump after he got infected with COVID-19. That case, according to Reuters, is still ongoing. Now, back to Pfizer. In court documents, Allele's M-Neon Green was called revolutionary and the king of fluorescent proteins for its brightness. These proteins glow when exposed to certain wavelengths of light. Now, this might sound a bit complicated, so just stick with me for a second. Allele didn't claim that Pfizer used M-Neon Green in developing their COVID-19 vaccine, but rather that they used it in clinical trials to test its effectiveness. They did this by introducing a pseudo-COVID-19 virus into blood cells, and if the cells didn't glow, then they were virus-free, and antibodies were present thanks to the vaccine. But Pfizer denied Allele's claims and argued that their patent was invalid. Pfizer cited a 1990 Supreme Court case where the decision stated that U.S. patent law exempts actions that would normally be infringement if they were done to submit information to the Food and Drug Administration so as to allow for the logical development of medical technology. But on January 4, 2022, 
Pfizer and Allele moved to dismiss the claims with prejudice, which means that Allele can't refile the same claim again. In a joint statement, an Allele representative stated that both companies resolved the issue in a mutually satisfactory manner. Meanwhile, Moderna just ended their vaccine patent dispute with the National Institute of Health. As we mentioned earlier, they began to work together on coronavirus vaccines in 2019. But the company claimed that its researchers alone were responsible for identifying the mRNA sequence that is the crux of its vaccine. In short, Moderna was trying to patent the exact genetic information that, if you recall, tells your body how to make those as proteins. NIH, however, argued that three of their scientists at the Vaccine Research Center deserve co-inventor and not just collaborator status. They are Dr. John R. Mascola, Dr. Barney S. Graham, and Dr. Kizmi Gia S. Corbett. But after Moderna missed a November 29 fee deadline, the final step in getting a patent, they abandoned their current application. They instead filed a new one that could potentially secure the patent later, giving the company more time for discussions with NIH. According to Forbes and the New York Times, if the National Institute of Health, a government research center, received credit on the patent, they, along with the federal treasury, could bring in revenue and royalties. The Moderna vaccine was expected to bring in nearly $20 billion last year. The government could also potentially have more say in expanding access to the patent in other countries. It's worth noting that the disparity between some countries' COVID-19 vaccination rates have caused concern ever since vaccines were rolled out. Many wealthy countries have vaccination rates well above 60%. For instance, according to the New York Times, 62% of Americans are fully vaccinated, while the United Arab Emirates boasts the highest rate at 94%. However, lower-income countries like Papua New Guinea, Yemen, and Madagascar have less than 3% of their populations fully vaccinated. Burundi, which reported the lowest GDP per capita ever in 2020, has a vaccination rate of less than 0.1%. How are countries trying to combat this inequality? KFF, a health policy analyst group, reports that the Biden administration has loaned 4 million doses and plans to donate at least 80 million more. Congress allocated $4 billion to fund COVAX, which is partly led by the World Health Organization. It's a global effort to hasten vaccine development and manufacturing. KFF also reports that the U.S. helps secure production and licensing agreements between countries. And last May, at a World Trade Organization meeting, the Biden administration changed its stance and also declared its support for vaccine patent waivers, a decision that earned praise from public health experts, but anger from the pharmaceutical industry. Stock in COVID-19 drug maker companies did plummet following the announcement. Pfizer CEO Albert Borla said that waiving patents is dangerous, he argued that doing so would ignite a global competition for raw materials and would compromise quality and efficacy, while also reducing incentive to invest in science. However, nearly 70 investors and investing groups representing $3.5 trillion in assets announced their support for linking pharmaceutical company executives' pay to adopting a pathway for expanding vaccine access. In response, Pfizer stated that they had met their goal of delivering 1 billion doses to lower- and middle-income countries in 2021 and plan to do so again this year. Johnson & Johnson said that 60% of their vaccines had been shipped to similar countries. Meanwhile, Moderna CEO Stefan Bonsell said he wasn't worried and didn't lose a minute of sleep over the news, believing that other countries lack the manufacturing sites and workers to be able to mass-produce a vaccine that rivals theirs. Indeed, other critics argue that the waiver isn't the end-all be-all to closing the vaccine gap, pointing instead to sharing production technology and coordinating supply lines. Supporters of the vaccine patent waiver contend that manufacturers of generic products have made high-quality vaccines and drugs for years. They also criticize some pharmaceutical companies' desire to recoup the cost of developing vaccines, since taxpayers help fund it too. Remember Moderna's partnership with the National Institute of Health? Regardless, even with the United States' support, it's unlikely that the vaccine patent waiver will come to fruition anytime soon. The World Trade Organization won't negotiate a deal until all 164 member countries approve some sort of waiver, 
One outspoken critic is Germany, Europe's largest economy and the home base of Pfizer's partner, BioNTech. In the meantime, some scientists are looking to expand vaccine access by developing their own. The low-cost, patent-free vaccine in question, Corbivax, the low-cost, patent-free vaccine in question, Corbivax, was developed by Dr. Maria Elena Batazzi of the Baylor College of Medicine and Dr. Peter Hotez of both Baylor and Texas Children's Hospital. They actually started working together on a coronavirus vaccine nearly 20 years ago during the 2003 SARS outbreak, though it was never used after the outbreak fizzled. But remember how we mentioned earlier that SARS-CoV-2 is part of a family of coronaviruses? Well, when COVID-19 hit, Dr. Hotez and Dr. Patazzi decided to update the original vaccine. The resulting Corvivax, like other vaccines, isn't without its faults. Since Corvivax is based on protein technology, it can't be modified as easily as mRNA vaccines, and there is still a lack of public data from clinical trials, a criticism acknowledged by Dr. Hotez. But it was shown to be 90% effective in preventing disease caused by the first COVID-19 strain and 80% effective against Delta. Its effectiveness against Omicron is still being studied. Last December, India's health regulators granted Corbivax emergency use authorization. An India-based company called Biological E took on manufacturing it. According to NPR, 100 million doses are being produced a month, while 300 million have already been sold to the Indian government. Although Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson are earning billions from their vaccines, Dr. Hotez and Dr. Batazzi will personally earn nothing. Baylor College, their employer, will get a fee. The doctors are already talking to other manufacturers, as well as the World Health Organization, to expand vaccine access even more. And as the world enters our third year of the pandemic, there is still so much work to be done. But no matter what, people are constantly fighting for change, in courtrooms, labs, and beyond. For KCSB News, I'm Joyce Chi.